When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. And Alex, we're going to get to the injury report here in a second that just dropped for the Patriots. But I wanted to start the show with this opening take and... Look, I think a lot of people on Sunday are going to want to see the Patriots absolutely blow out a bad New York Jets team with a rookie quarterback like we used to see back in the day, right? The good old days, as Bill Belichick was talking about it this morning with the 0-1 team and Richard Seymour going in the Patriots Hall of Fame. We would like to see that. And not that I wouldn't like to see that, but just baby steps here. Can we at least get a clean operation from the Patriots on Sunday, right? No procedural penalties, not no turnovers, no penalties wiping out big plays or touchdowns, no timeouts being burned because they don't have enough guys on the field, no punt blocks, just a clean from start to finish Patriot-like performance because it's been a long, long time since we've seen that. Yeah, and we shouldn't be asking for it mid-October. It feels weird, but that is where we're at. You're absolutely right. It just feels like they need to make that step in order to get to where they want to be. No procedural penalties. Having all three timeouts at their disposal at right. the two-minute warning. And we really still haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I was listening to the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sochi, uh, just a minute ago on 98.5, and he was saying how if the Patriots didn't have to burn those two penalties in the third quarter – because of substitution errors by the coaching staff, would they have been able to hold on to one of those timeouts for third and 25, right? Or or for one of those key situations where maybe Bill Belichick is able to then call a timeout, make sure everybody's on the same page. Because if you remember right before that play, they had to decide what they were going to do. There was two penalties, both on the Cowboys. One of them was during the down. One of them was an an after uh, personal foul after the play type of penalty. And Bill had a long conversation with the referees about what exactly he wanted on that. And it was a little bit of a hectic situation in that moment right so could he have cooled down the situation a little bit with one of those timeouts Uh, we talked a lot about going for it on fourth down and that aggressiveness stuff I don't know if that's necessarily going to come into play this week against the Jets as as it would against Tampa or Dallas or, or one of these teams that they're they're underdogs against but from start to finish even if they only beat the Jets by by 10 points right or even if they just cover against the Jets Let's just see them play a clean game of football. It's been way too long since we've seen that. Now, let's get into the injury report. 
I wanted to get to this because there are some key injuries here. So the Patriots have ruled out Jonathan Jones. Uh, He is not playing in this game with a shoulder injury. And Devon Godshaw is actually questionable. He he didn't practice all week long. Uh, he was limited today, it says. Or no, didn't practice today. But it's yeah, didn't practice today, yep. Somehow questionable. So that's interesting to me uh, as well because we saw last week Isaiah Wynn play after not practicing with the COVID stuff. And now they're saying that Devon Godshaw has a chance to play on Sunday even though he didn't practice all week long. Yeah, it's really an interesting one, right? And I didn't make that connection necessarily with Win, but that's a good point. I think Jones is just, just watching him. I think he's been playing hurt the last couple of weeks. I wonder yeah. if he should have been in there against Dallas. Not to say he played that poorly, but you could just I mean, you could tell he was laboring. You feel for the guy, right? So yeah. I I I think they don't they might not feel great about whoever's next up at slot corner. And I'm sure we'll get into that. There's a number of different ways they could go for moving Jalen Mills inside. And that means putting Juwan Williams in the game um, to Miles Bryant. Potentially, I think they see him as a safety, but him potentially stepping up and playing slot corner to even elevating D'Angelo Ross, which I actually think might be the best course of option here. Um, but yeah, we're going to, we're going to see what they have because that now becomes a question mark. It is interesting because you look at the Jets, in their roster, one of the areas where they do have some depth is at the wide receiver position, especially with Jamison Crowder now back. He didn't play in week two. You know, Corey Davis is there. Elijah Moore, the rookie, is somebody they're really high on. Braxton Berrios can play inside. So you have three guys there. Davis is going to, JC Jackson's going to get Davis, and that's going to be an outside matchup predominantly. But you look at the slot position where Jonathan Jones is leaving that behind, and they have Crowder, Berrios, and Elijah Moore, three guys that can all play inside. So you have to look at that spot, and you have to think that the Jets are going to play out of 11 a lot of this game to try to force a Miles Bryant on the field, to try to force a D'Angelo Ross on the field, and playing 11 at a big nickel, for instance, with Duggar, McCordy, and Phillips all on the on the field together with just two corners. Now you're guarding a corner, a safety is guarding a wide receiver, which I don't know if that's the route that the Patriots want to go. So this does feel like a game for Miles Bryant. I agree with you that based off of his usage, they have played uh, him mostly in safety type of assignments, mostly on third and longs and things like that, situational type of instances. He's kind of in, yeah, kind of in Deron Harmon's old role. Yeah, it's tough because when Miles Bryant, we know his limitations. He's a smaller guy, and you start putting him in that slot role, right? And you think about his assignments that he's going to have against the run if he's playing that slot role in uh, the Patriots' defense, and that's a tough assignment for a guy that doesn't have a lot of girth or doesn't have a lot of size. So that does seem like they've moved him back a little bit into a more of a safety role to, t- to keep him away from having to take on guys at the line of scrimmage in the run game. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, they got, yeah, I agree. I agree. I have no other take. No other take. Uh, let's, uh, what was it? There's another, Oh, Shaq Mason. Uh, that was the other one I wanted to point out. He is officially questionable in this game. So two straight weeks, he was ruled out, right? And now he's questionable. So we're trending in the right direction with Shaq Mason uh, with that abdomen issue. So assuming that Mason is probably more like 50-50 to play in this game and might trend towards playing, what, what is it, what is our feeling on the offensive line and how do we see this shaking who's starting and where? Well, so Wednesday we saw that offensive line that we had talked about on Tuesday, which was win and own when with the tackles, 
Karras and Mason at the guards and Andrews at center. Yeah. And, but then Thursday we came out and they moved Michael and Wenu back inside, taking Karras out and put uh, uh, Kajust back in. Right. Not even her, uh, or was it her No, it was Kajust. It was Kajust. Yeah, Kajust seems to, they. So many moving pieces. Yeah, I think they have finally settled on the fact that Justin Haran is a left tackle. And yeah. that's probably based off of everything that we've seen out of Justin Haran from last year to this year, whenever he's at left tackle, he's a solid left tackle, right? I'm not saying he's a game changer. It's not, he's not, you know, uh, Trent Williams or something like that, but he's a decent left tackle. But whenever they move him over to the right side, that seems to really, uh, he seems to struggle over there. So I think the two guys that you're looking at in terms of right tackles are Mike Onwenu or Yadni Kajus. One of those two guys I think is going to be in that spot. Yeah. Yeah. Michael. Yeah. I, I I'd say so. And it's still just, it should be on, it should be on Wenu. And it's not yeah. even a Mike Onwenu thing, despite the fact that he's been playing great at tackle. I think a lot of it is he, you know, their best five involves Ted Karras. When they brought Ted Karras back and then David Andrews, we talked about how Karras was this trump card they had, that he might be the best backup offensive lineman in all of football, that he's truly a starting caliber player. They haven't taken advantage of that depth yet, and it's just kind of puzzling to me, and I think this week is many weeks before it have been as well, I guess, but this week is yeah. a perfect week to take advantage of that. Right, so we, best case scenario, and I want to talk about the left tackle spot in a second. Best case scenario, you have either Haran or Wynn at left tackle, Ted Karras at left guard, Center, David Andrews, obviously. Right guard, Shaq Mason, and right tackle, Mike Onwenu. I think that's your best-case scenario for Sunday. Now, maybe the best-case scenario moving forward, I would say, in, in that respect, right, is just having that five or six guys together. Now the question is, is what do they do at left tackle? Because in a, in a lot of ways, you have to settle on, an, on a line at some point, right? You have to settle right. on five guys. Isaiah wins the former first-round pick. He's the guy with the $10 million fifth-year option that they picked up for 2022. So the investment is with Isaiah Wynn. Justin Haran's a sixth-round pick, right? The investment is with Isaiah Wynn, but Haran has been better at that spot than Isaiah Wynn has. So do you go with the better player, or do you ride it out with Isaiah Wynn and hope that he turns it around? I, I mean, I'm on record as saying I, I think you got to go with the hot hand right now. I think you got to go with the hot hand right now, and that's Justin Haran, right? I They don't really have time to wait for Isaiah went to turn it around, do they? Especially next week, you got the Chargers and you got Bosa. And then, I, I, what's the schedule after that? I know the Browns are in there some point soon, so you know, yeah. Garrett, and you don't really have time. Like, do you want Isaiah went out there figuring things out against Bosa? I don't. I don't. Not not that Haran's going to lock Joey Bosa down by any, or Nick Bosa. Again, my... It's Joey. It's, it's Joey. Joey, my, my inability to, you know, anyway. Um... They got Carolina after that, after the so Chargers and Carolina burns in that one. Yeah, yeah. Carolina's front is no joke. Yeah. Do you do you really want a guy trying to figure it out against some of these defensive fronts? I don't feel great about that. Give me the hot hand. And then if Haran cools off, we can have the discussion again. And you know, again, I'm not saying Haran's gonna come out and lock all these guys down, but he's the better option right now. He's objectively the better option. You said, Oh, well, he's a first round pick, you gotta let him try. The reason they have six Super Bowls, the reason the Patriots are the New England Patriots is they, they've never operated based off that assumption. They've operated as you're the better player. You're going to play this week. From what we've seen so far this season through six games, Justin Haran's the better left tackle. 
Yeah, I, I think that's really fair. And you look at some of these matches, Bosa's a guy that lines up over on the right side usually, so he's going to be over the right tackle predominantly. But in terms of this week, just before we get ahead of ourselves, John Franklin Myers on the other side for the Jets might be their best player on he's anywhere be on the right tackle too. So he's predominantly a right tackle guy as well. But you look at his skill set, and then you look at Win and what he's been struggling with when he's been out there recently is length, right? Length and explosiveness. And as a smaller tackle, Win's entire game plan is to try to get out there and get his hands on people as quickly as possible. He has to be the first to the punch. He can't be Trent Brown and sit back in his chair and catch guys coming at him because he doesn't have the size. Just like Randy Gregory did last week, guys just go right through him when he tries to sit back and, and try to catch a pass rushers instead of going out and getting them. A guy like John Franklin Myers, if they were to move him over to the left side a little bit more this week, he scares me in a matchup against Isaiah Wynn because he's got six foot six, six foot seven. He's got some serious length. Right. And he's got that ability to get into the body quickly and use that length, just like Randy Gregory did on that sack last week against Isaiah Wynn. So we are back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS 50 to receive your bonus from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports bet online where the game starts. When I look at Wynn and I look at why he's been struggling and why he hasn't been playing as well as he did for the first couple of years when he was out there, it comes down to the fact that he needs to be an aggressive pass protector. Some guys like a Brown I mentioned earlier, those guys are big enough that they're not going to get bull rushed back into the quarterback. You're not going to bull rush a 360 pound Trent Brown back into the QB. So he sits back, he braces himself for contact and he absorbs the blow. Isaiah Wynn doesn't have the size or the luxury to sit back and have that same kind of style. And and for some reason, he has not been as aggressive as he normally is. And that's something that I hope that the coaches are harping with him and saying, hey, you got to play your game. You got to play your way. Right now, I don't see that with Wynn. But if if you're just going off of the tape and who's been the better player at left tackle, it's Justin Huron. We'll see what the Patriots uh, decide to do. I'm still a little bit skeptical that the Patriots are going to give up so easily on Isaiah Wynn, especially after they picked up that option. I, I don't even, if he doesn't play it for the rest of the year, or if he's a backup for the most of the year with the Patriots, I just don't even see a trade partner or something like that coming to fruition for a $10 million fifth year option. Yeah, so it'll happen. It, I, I think it would be a situation like Sony Michelle where a team has, a sure. you know, you're in camp, you lose a couple tackles. And, you know, 10 million's not cheap, but it's also, I mean, what are you paying a true starting caliber left tackle? You're essentially buying low on a guy with potential 
and then you hope that he shows you enough that the 10 million becomes a bargain because you have no better option. Like I, I'm not saying they're gonna go out and get a second round pick. Right. I mean it would be for, a Michelle for, trade where you get right. what do they get a fourth for Sony, which actually is pretty decent value for a running back. I, I think so. if, if the situation presents itself in training camp, I think they could get a fourth round pick for Isaiah Wynn. I do. Yeah. I mean that's that's tough. You, you there was a point in time where Isaiah Wynn felt like he was gonna be around here for a long time, right? Whether it was that left tackle or, or finally moving him inside the guard somewhere on the offensive line he was talented enough to fit right somewhere whether it was at guard or tackle so it's tough to see what has become of Isaiah Wynn here recently let's let's talk about Mac we just made it 15 minutes into the show without talking about Mac Jones hey, I like that. well because we did the offensive line talk that's why uh, oh line talk injury report big picture stuff I like it uh talking did we even about do the injury report or did we just mention Jonathan Jones we mentioned Jones. We mentioned Shaq Mason. You mentioned uh, Shaq Mason. He's questionable. Did, did we, mention Godshaw? Godshaw? we did mention Godshaw. Yeah, yeah. Godshaw questionable. Uh, and the weird Sean Wade concussion, still not exactly. I mean, obviously, NFL teams hit in practice too on Wednesdays. They hit. So right, right. you can get concussed in practice. It is possible, but not usually a, a concussion that knocks you out this long, right? This is a weird one for Sean Wade. Right. It feels like at a certain point, you just put him on IR and obviously lingering concussions are a concern and you feel for the kid, but oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they need him. They need him. I I, yeah. I can't help but think if he was healthy, he'd be playing this week. Yeah, they definitely need the bodies. And the way that Jawan Williams has looked when they've given him the opportunities, especially in that game against Houston, John Wade might be a better option at this point, right? It might be at least worth trying and seeing if he's a better option. Uh, let's talk about Mac Jones in week two in, against the Jets. Max second career star and all that those caveats aside I thought that was the worst tape that Mac Jones has put out in the six games that he's played he turned the ball over more against New Orleans than he did against the Jets but against the Jets a really conservative Mac Jones and after the game I remember the narratives or the conversation was well Zach Wilson turned it over four times. He didn't need to put the ball in the air. He didn't need to take any chances down the field because the Patriots were going to win the game just because Wilson was handing him the game. But I, I saw Mac Jones in that game that missed a lot of downfield reads and wasn't exactly as crisp as, as what uh, he has been in the other games. So I look at that and I say this game this week against the Jets – Zach Wilson's probably not going to hand you four picks in the first 35 minutes. I'm not going to say he definitely won't because you never know, but he probably won't hand you uh, four picks in the first 35 minutes. So hopefully, yeah, maybe I, I don't see it. I don't see it. I think he'll be a little bit better than he was last time out. Uh, We also talked about last time them hitting those crossing routes against the middle of the field coverage in this Seattle style system that the Jets are running under Robert Sala. And early on in that game, Josh McDaniels dialed up four or five deep crossers to Nelson Aguilar. And the Jets did a really good job of staying leveraged on those routes and the opportunities down the field weren't there. So I actually envisioned them probably going with a little bit of a different plan uh, than what they did in week two, trying to go away from maybe some of those crossing routes and just flood zones in the middle of the field uh, with things at the short and intermediate level, instead of hunting for those big plays on linebackers. I think the other interesting thing in regards to Mac Jones this week is how the jets adjust, right? How many times have we seen a quarterback, a rookie quarterback, or it doesn't even have to be a rookie, just a guy playing for the first time and he looks good for like the first year, year and a half. Right. Then you kind of see him, you know, things level out. And this is the first, 
I, I feel like this year, you know, this like you always see it in movies, like the stereotypical like baby books, like baby's first steps, baby's first this, baby's first vomit, baby's first whatever. Like, I feel like we're making one of those scrapbooks. This show is just a scrapbook for Mac Jones this year, like rookie's first touchdown pass, rookie's first interception, rookie's first sack. Uh, so this week is rookie's first time facing a team twice. This right. is the first time he's played a team that's played him before, and it's the first time a team has been able to prepare for him after seeing him in person. I just, I find that narrative really interesting. I do. I'm curious. I don't know what's going to come of it. I think it could go a number of different ways, but it's a, it's a new test for Mac Jones. And this is what this year is all about for him. It's, it's how he handles the new things that are thrown at him. You don't face teams twice. Very, very rarely do you face teams twice here in college. And I'm trying to remember who Alabama played in the conference championship um, his year. And it, it, it was Florida and they didn't play Florida during the regular season. So, yeah. So he's, at least since high school, he's never faced a team twice in a season. He's never faced a team twice because he only started really one year in college. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he handles this and how the opponent handles it. Right. So it's interesting because the Jets are not a big time game plan defense, right? They kind of do what they do a week in and week out. But I do agree that there is something to be said for that. And and you look at also what Mac did in week two against his defense. He did not play a very good game. So what do the Jets do? Do they they know Mac's going to make some adjustments? They know McDaniel's is going to call the game a little bit differently this time around. So Robert Sala kind of does what he does. They play seventy so or so percent zone. Uh, they're not really a man heavy defense. Um, maybe they will play more man. Last week against Dallas, they played more man. The Cowboys did, and they usually do. They played a ton of cover one against the Patriots. So maybe Sala looks at that tape. Looks at Dan Quinn, who he knows pretty well, uh, same uh, kind of coaching tree there from Seattle, and and maybe they play some more man coverage uh, against the Patriots this time around than they did last time, knowing that McDaniel's is going to have some of those zone beaters ready and is going to going to have some of the things ready that Atlanta had success with. Atlanta, you look at that game plan uh, for the Falcons, and Matt Ryan almost threw for 400 yards against his defense a couple weeks ago in London, uh, really attacking the middle of the field. He was eight for nine for hundred and something yards attacking that middle uh, 10 to 12, a uh, 10 to 20 yard range at the middle of the field, tons of throws to Kyle Pitts. Uh, he had a huge game Pitts did. So we'll see. I, this Jets defense doesn't scare me outside of Franklin Myers a whole lot, but it's a, it's a sound scheme. They know what they're doing defensively in terms of what their assignments are. We're now into week six of the season, so maybe the Jets have a better feel for what they're going to do out there. They did a pretty good job the first time around against the Patriots. What do you feel about this tight end duo? Because uh, I've, I've talked about this a little bit this week. I think it's really important to talk about how Johnny Smith currently is being used in this Patriots offense because – to me, out of all the things wrong with the Patriots offense in the past and all these types of things that we've talked about with play calling and McDaniels and fourth down decisions, one of the more head-scratching things is the lack of Johnny Smith's involvement in the passing game. Uh, this season so far, Johnny Smith has only run a pass route on 38% of the Patriots' passing plays. So essentially, he is a glorified blocking tight end right now for new England. And that's not what they paid him $13 million and $30 million guaranteed to be. They thought this guy was going to come in and make plays in the passing game. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, to go to the extreme comparison, it's not quite this. They basically turned him into Dwayne Allen. 
Who, yeah, he's he's a better Dwayne Allen. I actually really like better Dwayne version Allen. than Dwayne Allen right now. I like Dwayne Allen. I thought Dwayne Allen played an important role for this team. He was an excellent run blocker. He he was a key part of that that run in 2018. Right. He certainly was. But that's not what Johnny Smith should be. Now, you can look at this in two ways. Is that just how they're going to use him? Remember, we talked about this when we signed him. Evan, it's something I talk about all the time. It's one of my core beliefs in evaluating football. Talent can only go so far. Usage is a big part of it. If you ask a guy to do things he can't do, or you don't have a player play to his strengths, he's not going to look as talented as he ultimately is. As he's not going to look as talented as he ultimately is. I call it the Nikhil Harry paradox. So you know, is is this their plan for John Smith? We've seen them misuse players before. I don't think so. That would be such a monumental miss. I mean, it would be a, a miss yeah. on you know a pl- like a, a, a you know exponential level compared to what they've done. The other way I look at it is, well, the offensive line sucked. The offensive line has sucked. It I would agree with this. One of the most narr- I would agree with you, what you're about to say. If they were using Johnny Smith to block in passing situations more than they are. Last week against Dallas, Johnny Smith only had one rep as a pass blocker. So if you're saying, okay, they're just leaving him in and they're blocking with six instead of five guys, then I would understand where you're going with that. But they're not doing that that frequently well i i think it applies to both right it's not like the offensive line has been great this year against the run either especially the tackles sure so it may be that you know they feel like they need to compensate for for poor tackle play and this is just the best way they can do it now they kept Jakob johnson on the roster nothing against Jakob johnson i think he's been okay when he's been on the field they just again the usage is a little odd to me um especially if you want that extra blocker he makes a lot more sense than Jonu Smith. And he's a converted defensive end. So I'd have to believe he'd be comfortable playing up on the line of scrimmage and blocking at the point of attack there instead of coming out on the back, out of the backfield. So, you know, that's kind of why I think this is going on with Jonu Smith. I think it's just a trickle-down effect because the offensive line has played poorly. But you have to hope that's it because any other explanation is a major red flag. If it... I, I just don't know why the offensive line directly apply. I think it indirectly applies to the situation. So the bigger thing to me at play is that the Patriots have discovered at least so far at this point of the season, that uh, they are a better passing team out of 11 personnel or three wide receiver sets. than they are out of the two tight end 12 personnel package that they thought that they were going to run most of their offense out of. I'm sure when they signed Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. So they are playing most of their passing downs. 80% nearly of their passing plays have come out of 11 personnel. And when they're in 11 personnel with only one back and one tight end in the game, Hunter Henry is the better pure receiver than Johnny Smith. So he's getting all the 11 personnel reps for the Patriots right now. So that 12 package has not panned out the way that they were hoping it would. They just haven't been able to produce in the passing game on the levels that they were hoping it would. But looking back to last week against Dallas and then looking ahead to this game against the Jets is that they did throw that touchdown to Hunter Henry against Dallas out of a 12 look, right? They ran the play action pass. They had Smith and Henry on the field uh, on either side of each tackle. And they were able to get both those guys up the seam. The post safety helps to Johnny's seam route. So he throws the ball to Henry. So those are the types of schematic things when you get single high out of 12 that you were hoping that you were going to be able to take advantage of all year long. So hopefully that is coming along, right? Hopefully that is starting to 
to get itself going. Then you also look at what the Jets were struggling against last time out. They had the bye last time out against Atlanta. They Atlanta ran a ton of 12 personnel with Hayden Hurst and Kyle Pitts on the field together. Now, Kyle Pitts is not – he's a Swiss Army knife, right? He's not just a tight end. He's, he's kind of an everything. But at the same time, Matt Ryan averaged over nine yards per attempt. They were 13 for 15 throwing the ball against the Jets out of 12. So this is the week. This is the week that we got to see it. And at some point in time, and somebody in the chat mentioned that maybe Johnny Smith is in the doghouse for the Saints game and for his performance against New Orleans. At some point in time, and against an opponent like the Jets, who has one win on the season, is going nowhere, you have to see if you can manufacture some touches for Johnny Smith, right? Screen passes, throws behind the line of scrimmage, actions out of the backfield. You have to find some ways to incorporate him. I got shut down by Bill Belichick this week when I asked him if huh. they how they were going to incorporate Johnny more in the passing game. But they have to find some more ways, and this is the week to do it, not only because the Jets are an, a below-average team, but also because they particularly struggle at covering tight ends, especially with both of them on the field. And that's, that's I feel like a broken record because the Patriots have played a bunch of teams that suck against tight ends. Yeah. it's it, it, I mean, I guess I can't keep saying it's now or never because then it keeps happening. But it's got to be a tight end week. This is a week to get John o. Smith involved. It absolutely is. And yeah. you mentioned the doghouse. Is he in Bill's doghouse or is he in Mac's doghouse? Because, I don't know. And, and not, to say, not to say Mac is pissed at him, but quarterbacks have their preferences. We know this. Even the best quarterbacks have their preferences. And it's kind of exasperated with young quarterbacks. Keenan Allen was the most targeted receiver in football last year. His play style doesn't necessarily mark him as a traditional volume receiver, but that's where Justin Herbert felt comfortable going with the football. I think we now know who Mac is comfortable with, right? He's comfortable with Hunter Henry. Yeah. He's comfortable with Jacoby Myers. I would also put Kendrick Bourne in that category. He doesn't seem like it as much because of the numbers, but he also doesn't play as much. But I feel like when he's on the field, Max seems pretty. I mean, look, he goes back to him after he drops the pass, it turns into the pick six. I would say those three, that's we used to talk about Brady's circle of trust, right? Well, let's yeah. bring it back. I think you look at Max's circle of trust, I'd say Hunter Henry, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne. That I feel very comfortable putting those three in the circle of trust. If you were to ask me who on the roster is the furthest from the circle of trust right now, it feels like it's John U. Smith. It really does. And, you know, can you blame him after the Saints game? Yeah, and I, I think the biggest onus to me, though, maybe maybe it is, I, I think that's a good point. I, and, you know, only Mac, he's not going to come out if we ask him, Mac, do you not trust Johnny Smith? He's not going to come out and say, no, I don't trust him. I'm not throwing the ball, right? So only Mac can answer that question. But if I'm the Patriots and I'm Josh McDaniels in particular, I'm sitting there and saying, we have got to figure out a way to get Johnny involved. And asking Johnny to run routes like he's Hunter Henry and get up the field and make a move at the top of the route and get open. That's not the type of guy that he is. So the way that you have to manufacture touches for Johnny Smith is different from the way that you would just allow Hunter Henry to go out there in a, in a pattern and make a, a, a move at the top of the route and beat man coverage. Hunter Henry is a natural fit for that type of offense. That's just going to throw the ball to the open guy. Cause he gets open. Johnny Smith doesn't get open like that. So they're going to have to figure out ways to get in the football, whether it's throwing it behind the line of scrimmage, whether it's screen passes, whether it's reverses, backfield plays, all that kind of stuff. And the one package that I'm still waiting to see 
And I don't know if it's ever going to come out as the three wide receiver, two tight end set, right? Take the running backs off the field. No offense to Ramondre Stevenson and Brandon Bolden, but that those five guys, whether it's Aguilar, Myers, Bourne, Hunter Henry, and Johnny Smith, those are the five most dynamic receivers on the Patriots roster, right? Those are the five most explosive guys and the most dynamic guys on this Patriots roster. And at some point in time, I would love to see McDaniels try to put all five of them out there at once and see what they can do out of that package. Cause it just feels like that's the best possible combination. And maybe in that package, Johnny Smith is more of a backfield player, right? He's more of a running back H back type of player instead of somebody that's going out there and running a traditional route tree. Yeah. I mean, I get, we've been calling for it since they signed him in March. Literally, None of this is new. Literally, it's just cranning him. It's, we're just it's waiting I feel like a broken record. I'm going to audible and talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts premier cannabis dispensaries, INSA, I-N-S-A. They're the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it while never forgetting it's for everyone. INSA dispensaries are inviting and modern, so come in just to learn more. The staff are authorities on the science who answer every question from the differences between flowers and concentrates to offering for insomnia and anxiety, or reco for hanging with friends. Insa has a world-class head chef too, and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing, the Insa founders aren't VCs from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from Springfield. So there's another local team to root for, Insa. In Salem, East Hampton, Boston Delivery, and two Springfield locations, including just one off I-91 beside the MGM Casino. Mention we said to stop by for a sweet t-shirt or for one penny, insa.com or 877-500-INSA. Can, right. can I get a quick thought from you? Kind of take it off the rails, but a quick thought before we move on because it's yes. interesting. Patriots worked out their third corner of the week per Mike Reese. DJ Hayden. How do you feel about okay. that? Former first round pick. How do you feel about it? I mean, he's a veteran. Uh, Brian, I would have. I think Brian Poole might be a better fit for what they do. Uh, Brian Poole is a guy that plays inside, plays man to man. They're clearly doing their due diligence on these corners because John Jones might be out for longer than they. I actually wouldn't be surprised if we find out here shortly that Jonathan Jones going on IR for at least short term IR, right? So. Uh, I, I, they're do, clearly doing some due diligence to make sure that they have some veteran corners that maybe they could bring in and sign if Jonathan Jones doesn't end up coming back quickly. So I don't hate it. I, I also got to think that they are completely out on Juwan Williams after what they saw. I, was gonna, I meant to say this before, if he's a healthy scratch this week, I mean, it's, that's it. It's over. Yeah. So it, that's how that feels. Um, I think more on the offensive side of the football not really. Uh, I guess Ramondre Stevenson, uh, are we going to keep seeing him in the passing game? Are we going to see more of him in the passing game? Made some nice grabs last week against Dallas. The one pass protection rep that he got wasn't pretty, but the rest of it was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I think by default he has to. To me, the bigger question is, is this the week that all four running backs are finally active? Is this the week we see him and Taylor both yeah. on, the, on the game day roster? Is, is kind of where I'm at, and I don't know. I mean, it probably should be, but last week probably should have been too, and it didn't happen. Your point about Jakob Johnson, and it's nothing against Jakob Johnson, but it's it's getting interesting. Last week they used him a lot more because they came out early in the game in that 22 personnel package, and, and they used him a ton. But if you're going to have Ro- Jakob Johnson be a game day active every single week, he should have a bigger role. 
right on, on game day. And I, I'd have to look it up. I'm not sure how much special teams he's playing. He might, he might have a pretty big role in the kicking game and that might be part of it. But JJ Taylor is a, another guy that at least when he gets the ball, he, he can do something with it. Right. He's got some talent. He's got some bursts. He's got some ability. So we'll, we'll see what happens if he can get out of the doghouse. Let's move over to the defense. And like I said at the top of the show, and, and I'll repeat it now, we kind of took Davis Mills a little bit lightly. I think the Patriots kind of took Davis Mills a little bit lightly, and we saw what he did. So as much as Zach Wilson has struggled this year, and he's been terrible, don't get me wrong, the, the Patriots don't have the luxury to take anybody lightly right now, right? I, I don't care. Zach Wilson probably is the worst starting quarterback in the NFL right now, or if he's not 32nd, he's 31st. It really doesn't make a difference at this point. Yeah, well, Jimmy Garoppolo is starting for the Niners this week, but uh, that, oh, that just came across. No, I'm kidding. Come I'm on. kidding. Come I know on. that'll get people fired up. Um, I just, you know, you ask any player this week about Zach Wilson. He's got a great arm. He's got a great arm. Yeah. Throw the ball so far. He's a great arm. All right, so so they think he's Jamarcus Russell. Like, right. I, I I don't know. I, I think Davis Mills, at least, I still don't see, like, outside of raw athleticism, you know, I still don't understand what Zach Wilson brought to the table. I, I still don't see it. And yeah, I, you don't want to take them lightly. I mean, that's not to say that, but I don't know that, you know, Davis Mills capitalized on the Patriots mistakes. They took him lightly, yeah. but he still capitalized on the mistakes. Davis Mills is a guy who can capitalize on mistakes. He's just not going to give you anything on, on his own. And that's your classic backup quarterback. I don't know that Zach Wilson, he, the Patriots made mistakes against him in week two and he didn't capitalize on them. I just don't trust him to capitalize on mistakes at least regularly enough for the Jets to really make noise unless the offense really gets shut down. It was crazy watching back this week, those four interceptions that he threw the first time around. None of them were particularly anything that the Patriots did or or anything great that the Patriots did, right? They just got a little bit of pressure on him in the pocket and he he just turned the ball over like crazy. And you look at what we're doing since then, and this was something that Robert Sala uh, talked about when we talked to him earlier this week was just taking what's there, right, and being willing to football down or hit some of the underneath throws and not always going for the big play because the big play has gotten them into a lot of turnovers and some turnovers that should have been turnovers. There is a play against Atlanta where he ended up drawing uh, – the receiver ends up drawing a defensive pass interference call all the way down uh, by the goal line. So it ended up working out for the Jets. But instead of hitting Corey Davis on the over route wide open, right in front of him, Zach Wilson tries to throw across his body to the other side of the field from right to left on a 40, 45 yarder and into two defenders. Now the safety took a bad angle initially and it looked like the post was coming open, but it's still a throw that I looked at and said, wow, that, that guy got really lucky. Right, that 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 ball wasn't picked off. So you still see a lot of these types of mistakes on tape from Zach Wilson. But the main thing that, in my mind, is different between Wilson and a guy like Davis Mills. And one of the reasons why I like Davis Mills in the draft, and we can bring it back up, and you can make fun of me again. But one of the reasons why I like Davis Mills in the draft is because of what you what you just said, actually, Alex, is that in structure. Davis Mills can sit in the pocket and make rhythm throws when the defense breaks down, right? It's Mac Jones. Yeah. If you give him an open receiver and he's not getting under pressure all game long and all that kind of stuff, then Davis Mills can sit there and throw the football down the field. And the other thing that Davis Mills is, 
in particularly good at is once he gets hot, he's hot, right? I mean, he can get really, really hot. With Zach Wilson, the only thing that scares you when you watch him play is the outside of structure plays, right? The extended plays when everything breaks down and he's on the move and he's outside the pocket and he's throwing these ridiculous off-platform cross-body deep shots down the field. If you don't let him do that, then he's got nothing. He really does. And the Patriots talked about it this week. Devin McCourty talked about it at length, that the Tennessee game, the one win that the Jets have this this year, was decided by Davis, or excuse me, by Zach Wilson making these ridiculous downfield throws outside the pocket. So as long as you don't allow him to extend plays and turn this into playground football, and you force him to beat you from the pocket in the system, in the structure of the offense, then they're going to be able to win this game pretty easily, at least on defense. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that I had Zach Mills below Kyle Trask this spring. He's not consistent. You'll see him make a throw. And there are individual great throws that he makes, but he can't string them together. And that doesn't matter. You don't get style points. This isn't Olympic diving. You know, if he was graded per throw by some judges, then yeah, he'd be a pretty good quarterback, but that's not the reality. He's got to get the ball to the receivers on a regular basis and he can't do it. He didn't, frankly, he didn't really do it at BYU. It it was a pure projection pick. It was a pure projection pick. And the talent around him doesn't support that pick. I, you know, we don't need to get into why the jets totally blew it with, Justin Fields still on the board who has the same ceiling as Zach Wilson, but a much, much higher floor. But yeah, I, I'm not, if they, if the jets win this game, it's because John Franklin Myers and Marcus may, and that defense go nuts. It's not because Zach Wilson suddenly learned how to play football. It's crazy to watch because when you watch him on tape, when Zach Wilson does make a good rhythm throw, when he sits in the pocket and makes a read and hits a guy with some anticipation down the field and puts it on him, you, you're like, wow, that that that's a unicorn for Zach Wilson, but right? How often I mean, does that, he do that? How, that's what I'm saying. He does that maybe once or twice a game. Exactly. He drops yeah. back to pass 35 times a game, and he maybe hits it twice. You know, it, the, a rhythm, good, anticipatory, over-the-middle type of play. I've seen him make maybe half a dozen of those, and I've watched two or three full games of Zach Wilson, right? And he just doesn't have that ability to do it. There's only one way he beats you. And that is with the playground stuff, the scramble around point down the field. He had Corey Davis deep against the Titans where he's scrambling, he's scrambling. He points deep like this to Corey Davis. Corey Davis goes vertically down the field and he just slings it down there with the flick of the wrist. And those throws are impressive. And you look at those and you say, wow, that's some arm talent. That's crazy athleticism. That's crazy arm strength, but that is only going to happen at most right. once or twice a game. If you you're can't win a game on that, you, you right. can't win a game on that. That's what the, frankly, that's what the chiefs are learning right now is you can't win a game on that alone. Mahomes can do all that, and it's great. But Mahomes brings so much more to the table that, that you know, we because we were talking about, what was it, Mormon Mahomes was the yeah. nickname? Well, yeah. I'm going to bring back the one I had in week two, Evan, because I think you just hit it spot on. Mormon Manziel. That's what oh, he, do you, do you feel a little bit better about that one now than no. you did maybe a few weeks ago? No. He's he Mormon is- Manziel. Johnny never had the arms, the arm strength, and the arm talent that Zach Wilson had. But he had a, he had to win the same way. Johnny was he more could only win in that same sense where he had to do all the dipsy do Mickey Mouse bull crap in order to complete a pass. Yeah, so Johnny was slipperier and a better scrambler, I would say, than Zach Wilson is. Right? He 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 was more better with the ball in his hands as a ball carrier. 
uh, more natural in that, but he didn't have the arm strength and the arm talent that Zach Wilson does. He had the but, strength. I don't know if he had the talent. He, he could throw the ball pretty far. Yeah, maybe it was maybe it's more just the accuracy on the move, right? And just that ability to really flick the wrist and hit it from basically anywhere. You know, if right. you leave if he's on the right sideline and you leave a guy 40 yards down the field open on the left sideline, Zach Wilson can make that throw. He's got that kind of arm. But, but I, I, I I would say again, and I talked about this during the draft, and we're gonna talk about it. I don't know how much quarterback talk we're gonna do during this upcoming draft, but I assume we'll do a little bit. Just yeah for fun. And I'm, I'm going to say it a ton during this draft. I just know with this class and remember last year, Kellen Mond made that throw in his pro day. And then Zach Wilson made a throw. And yeah. It was, you know, it was like the turning the back shoulder last second down the field. I was, oh my God, you don't get to be a D one quarterback. If you can't physically make that throw. Yeah. It's, that it's throw not, became the, that's the, that's the pro day throw now. Right. Right. It's not making that throw. That's impressive. Every guy can make that throw. The seventh round picks can make that throw. Every quarterback in this draft, not named Ian book can make that throw. It's how often can you make it? What separates Trevor Lawrence from Davis mills is Trevor Lawrence can hit that throw nine times out of 10 where Davis mills can maybe only hit it two times out of 10. That's the separator. And sometimes teams get so focused on the guy hitting the throw. They ignore how often he makes it. And that's how you get, you know, Jared Goff going first overall. That's how you get Zach Wilson going over Justin Fields is teams kind of ignore the consistency and they get caught up in the physical ability when they all have the physical ability. Anybody playing at that level has that physical ability, but it comes down to how often can you use that physical ability to the level of precision needed to be completed. And yes, I'm an Ian book hater. Welcome to the show. You're right. But that's what it comes down to. And the judge, that was the thing with Mac Jones. Like he maybe doesn't have that level of physical ability, but his consistency is through the roof. That's why he's a first round pick. Right. Well, so I, before you get on the rant with Mac Jones, I, I no, actually that's, just, wanted, that's it. That's it. Go no, ahead. I actually wanted to bring this to Mac Jones because the far more interesting conversation about this game is not necessarily about the matchups and, and breaking down Greg Van Rotten against Josh Uche or, or whatever the case may be, right? The far more interesting part of this game to me is comparing and contrasting Zach Wilson and Mac Jones, not just now, but their futures maybe three to five years from now because they are such polar opposites in terms of how they win and what makes them productive and what makes them good prospects and good talents and, and good developmental quarterbacks. And this comes back to a draft conversation in a lot of ways. The Jets had the opportunity to take anybody they wanted, not named Trevor Lawrence, right? They could have taken Lance. They could have taken Fields. They could have taken Mack. They decided to take Zach Wilson at second at number two overall. And they bet that they could develop Zach Wilson into a, I wouldn't call it, a Pat, no one's Patrick Mahomes, right? But they right. bet that they could develop Zach Wilson into a poor man's Patrick Mahomes. And because they were running a structure with Mike LaFleur, that's a lot like what they run in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan or Los Angeles with Sean McVay, which is known, or Matt LaFleur, his brother in Green Bay, I, I should also mention. That system is known for being super quarterback friendly and very easy for quarterbacks to run. So they thought we're going to put Zach Wilson 
into a very, very easy system to run for quarterbacks. He's got all the arm talent in the world, and we're going to be able to maximize him by making it simple for him. You're either going to throw the dig or you're going to throw the post. You're either going to throw the over or you're going to throw the deep post, right? You're not there, There's two routes. You have that bootleg action, you roll it out, and you pick a, a side. That's it. That's just a whole offense. Mac Jones, on the other hand, he's got – he's got the it factor in terms of being able to understand how to run a five man route combination, how to get himself protected, how to get the ball out quickly, make decisive reads, make confident reads with the football. And they're just such contrasting styles that I think it's really interesting to watch how these two guys are going to develop over the next five, 10 years in the division too, going up against one another twice a year. Oh, Assuming Zach Wilson stays in the division for five to ten years, well, which he's I think is a pretty be here for four or five, right? Uh, he'll be on the roster. You know, <laughs> they're uh, gonna they're gonna start how him. Long, for a how while. long did they they took Hackenberg top fifty? He never okay. started a game. All right, well that's um, different. They didn't take you know, Hackenberg second overall. Christian Hackenberg is the highest drafted quarterback to never start a game in the modern history of the NFL. Sorry, to never play so, a game in the modern history of the NFL. This way, so you don't get on a rant about Christian Hackenberg. No, 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 wait. Take, not, take, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You're, you're bringing us right to the precipice of my favorite conversation. Okay, let's do it. Which is, you know, you're talking about Zach Wilson. You need this, this, this physical ability, this talent to play right. this offense, Mac Jones. Which do you think, which quarterback is easier to develop in which quarterback is it easier to build a roster around? The flashy, highlight play, high-risk quarterback like Zach Wilson. No risk it, no biscuit. Or the safe, controlled Mac Jones. Which quarterback is easier to build a roster around? There is no doubt about it that it's easier to build a football team around Mac Jones. No doubt about so, it. This is this is kind of the – and I, I made we did this last time during Jets Week because we don't want to talk about the Jets. This is, I think you just made the point I've been trying to make to you for months better than I have. The downside of that, because everybody would take the smarter, more controlled quarterback if there was no downside. The downside is he's not your playmaker. You need other playmakers, running backs, receivers, et cetera. It's more efficient because it's easier to identify for whatever reason, just history tells us. It's easier to identify playmakers at the skill positions than it is at quarterback. Even on defense, it's easier to identify talent on defense than it is a quarterback it is more efficient unless you know you have the guy unless you have burrow or lawrence unless you know you have the guy sitting there on the board know for sure not like oh he's probably it like lock it in right unless you know you have that guy it's more efficient to take another premium position like a tackle or a corner right somebody like that maybe an elite wide receiver it's more efficient to take that guy and then go find yourself a net neutral quarterback like a Mac Jones and win that way, as opposed to putting all of your eggs into the Zach Wilson basket. That's that's what I've been saying about this new era. I don't think teams yeah. viewed that as a legitimate approach until maybe two or three years ago. I think teams wouldn't have even considered that. It was, well, if we can't get Aaron Rodgers, if we can't get Patrick Holmes, we're just going to keep failing until we get him. Try and try again. It's the only way we're going to get him. And I think what you've seen with the emergence of teams like the Titans like the Bills before Josh Allen turned it on with the Niners in 2019 who are backtracking on what was a solid plan. I think what you're seeing with the emergence of these teams is NFL teams now realize they don't need to sell the farm to get the quarterback who has a 50-50 shot. They can draft a Panay Sewell. They can draft a Patrick Sertan. That guy's going to be a cornerstone 
franchise piece because as much as we all love Mac Jones, you can get a Mac Jones most years in the back end of the first round early in the second round. Not next year, oddly enough, because next year's class blows. <laughs> but you can find that guy. Mo- like Justin Herbert went high, but he wasn't considered on that level. And you look at some of the other picks the Chargers made when they could have potentially drafted Philip Rivers heir apparent. They didn't. They drafted Bosa. They they went out. They drafted. They added tight ends, right? They added to their right. defense. And then they okay, went but, out. They got but here, here's, the here's the rebuttal. And they hit it. Here's okay. the rebuttal, okay? Yeah. So the rebuttal is a guy like Zach Wilson, I think, is in a, a disadvantage for many reasons. The first one is that the Jets are playing him right away, right? And yep. Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City sat behind Alex Smith for an entire year before he got on the field. Oh, I I agree quarterbacks should sit. I agree quarterbacks should sit. So there was reports out of Kansas City during Patrick Mahomes' rookie season saying, holy crap, wait until you guys see Patrick Mahomes in an NFL game. This guy is lighting up practice. Wait until you see this. And then they, but they were patient with it. They, because they could have gone to Patrick Mahomes midway through, because apparently, according to some people in Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes was outplaying Alex Smith already in his rookie season by about halfway into the rookie season, but they were patient with it and they waited. And that's something that teams have not done is they haven't been patient and they haven't waited with some of these guys. The other part of it is one sec. The other part of it is look at what just happened in LA with the Rams because they had their Mac Jones. They had Jared Goff. Right, and he got them to a Super Bowl on See, the back. I think Max better than Goff. I think okay, Mac but, is a but regardless, they're, they're in terms of overall ability, right? In terms of raw physical yeah. tools, I think those two guys are on similar planes, right? I'm not saying I think Mac is is got a little bit more of an it factor in terms of competitiveness and stuff like that compared to what Jared Goff had, but in terms of just the difference between Mac and Jared Goff is that Max got balls. All right, Jared Goff goes out there and pisses down his well, Mac leg. Mac also knows what he's looking at. I, I I agree that Mac is better than Goff. My point is only that the physical tools are on a similar plane, right? Okay. So there are two guys that you look at and you say, oh, okay, you know, they got a lot of, of other things, but not necessarily the great arm talent, the See, great athleticism, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just don't Let think me finish that... my point. Let me finish. Okay. okay. With the Rams... Sean McVay looked at that situation and he said, there is no way that I am going to compete year in and year out with Jared Goff. And I need to upgrade at the quarterback position with Matthew Stafford. And they went out and they made that trade for Matthew Stafford. So the problem that you have that you run into, I'm not saying that this is necessarily going to be the problem with Mac Jones, because I think that Mac Jones is maybe better than all of us had thought right? All of us, myself, I'm talking about myself right now that I thought, but the question is, is what's your ceiling as an offense, right? What is, what is your ceiling as a team? Unless Mac Jones turns into Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, or one of these guys that won with that kind of skill set, what is the ceiling? Because in, in Los Angeles, they decided the ceiling wasn't high enough. Right, and they move on from Jared Goff, and they and they'd make the trade for Matthew Stafford in San Francisco. They decided the ceiling wasn't high enough with Jimmy G, and they trade all those picks to move up to draft Trey Lance. And all these teams are looking at it, and they're saying, if we're truly going to compete. 
for Super Bowls and we're truly going to win championships, the ceiling is capped with guys like Jimmy G, with guys like Jared Goff, and that's why teams are swinging and missing on people like Zach Wilson. And and they haven't missed yet on Zach Wilson, but you understand my point. So here's here's what I would say to that. I don't think – I certainly don't think Jared Goff's a net neutral. I don't think he's a good quarterback. I don't yeah. think he qualifies as a net neutral. I would not consider him a okay. So what, what's Tennessee? What Tennessee's ceiling with Ryan Tannehill, right? Well, well are, if are, they could have stayed healthy when they had a defense, I mean, they got the AFC Championship game. San Francisco's yeah. ceiling was Super Bowl. Shanahan blew it, and that's another conversation. I don't think Kyle Shanahan's a very good coach when it comes to game like game management. But San Francisco was right there. The super they had the Super Bowl. They let it slip from their fingers. I think the ceiling was there. The other part of this plan that maybe I haven't articulated right, because I don't think we've ever gotten this far in the conversation, is that it's more sustainable. So it's a double-edged sword. You're Part of the reason that, that that kind of quarterback is attractive is, yes, the Patriots will have to pay Mac Jones, and they will have to pay him more money than he's making on his rookie contract. But that kind of – and, and, and by the way, as for Jimmy Garoppolo, he's not healthy enough, so that's that's where he goes out the window. Um. You're probably not going – look, if Mac hits his ceiling, he's dumb. So here's the thing. One of two things can happen. Either Mac totally maxes out, and he is like Brady or Breeze, and right. you do got to pay him all the money in the world, but great. You have a top-five quarterback, and you're always going to be competitive. The other thing is when you take a guy like Mac, he's never really going to be bad enough that he's not going to be a starting quarterback. So you're still going to pay him, but you're not necessarily going to have to reset the market to pay him, and it allows you to keep some of that talent – that other teams have to give up when they pay that quarterback. Like, I'm just, you, this is a really raw example. The, the, the details can be blown up instantly. But for example, say Mac develops a really good chemistry with both Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, right? He already has right. Hunter Henry, comes with Johnny Smith, and he kind of turns into what we think he's going to be. He's Matt Ryan, right? Which Matt Ryan won an MVP. It's a good ceiling. I don't necessarily know that you're going to have to pay Mac Jones $50 million a year. And with that money, you sit like the weapons that a team with a, a a Patrick Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen, the receivers or the defensive players, those teams can't keep. You can keep. You rely on them more, but you also maybe have a little more money to spend on them. So that's the double-edged sword of this thing is either he does turn out to be elite, which is possible, and then you have an elite quarterback and great, or he's not elite, but he's a starter. So we're going to pay him starter money, not elite money. Like, this is what teams have done for the last 15 years. You either yeah. make your quarterback the highest paid quarterback in the history of football, or he's gone. There hasn't been, like, right, who was the last quarterback who got paid who didn't become the highest paid quarterback of all time? It doesn't happen. It hasn't right. happened in, in a long time. And Brady. eventually, <laughs> you're correct. <Yeah>. Eventually, <laughs> I believe, and I'm just speculating here. Like, some of this now we're getting, this is like talking about theoretical physics, but in football. Right. Eventually, I believe that pattern is going to snap. I believe that pattern is going to snap into teams are just going to start paying okay quarterbacks because they're going to be able to keep all the other talent they've amassed. When they start drafting the Penn A. Sewells and the Patrick Sertan, uh, Patrick Sertan Juniors and the, the Jalen Waddles of the world, they're going to just start wanting to pay those guys instead of paying the quarterback or having to waste that guy's potential resetting the quarterback position altogether. And if you do that, all of a sudden, here you go. You have a really sustainable way to win football games. It's been boomer bust in the NFL for 20 years. And where where we're getting where the game's so analytic heavy in game, and we're getting away from so much of that in game, and everything's controlled and everything's about efficiency. 
why has that approach not hit front offices? That's what I like. I think that approach should come off the field and into the front office. There to me is a blueprint. It's easier said than done, but there's a relatively simple long-term sustainability. Right. But you hit it earlier. The way to make that sustainable and the way to make that work is you better hit on the rest of the roster. Right. And, and yes. right. And yes. right now it seemed like the Patriots are, are getting there, but they're still pieces away. I would yes. say, especially in terms of weapons, right. They have a bunch of really, I think Hunter Henry and some of these other guys are a bunch of really good complimentary pieces, but they still don't have their, their stud. Right. They just don't have sure. their Devontae yeah. Adams, their Tyreek Hill, their stud. So until they go out and get that guy, then their offense is going to be in this position. And, and I, I so just want to. The only thing I would say to that, real quick. Yeah. It's, we'll call it year two. We'll call it year two. I, I think so for my plan, it would like, they don't need to have that guy max rookie year. I would say by the right. time you, you want to yeah. have that guy in place by and like Max's third season. So and who knows how good Mac is going to be? Mac could bust through this and transcend this plan, right? right? Mac if Jones could be but, better. So that, that's the thing about this plan for me is because you're taking the safer bet at quarterback, it's win-win. Because either you end right. up with an elite quarterback or you end up with a pretty good quarterback and money to spend elsewhere. Like right. I, either one of those situations, again, somebody has to break the mold and it's going to be tough. Like breaking that agent and all of that, that's maybe that's not Mac. Maybe that's not coming for another 10, 15, 20 years, but it's coming someday in the future. Hopefully in my lifetime, a quarterback will get paid by the team who drafted him, but he's not made the highest paid quarterback in NFL history. It's coming. I really think that moment's coming. And when it does, it's going to revolutionize or re-revolutionize the way teams build NFL rosters. So the question ultimately boils down to, in my mind with Mac Jones is, can he be better than the, Goff, Garoppolo, Tannehill, Cousins group. And I, I would also so. I'd also maybe throw Derek Carr in that group as well, just in terms of the tier. But those four guys came close, right? The Vikings <laughs> got to a, a NFC championship game. The Rams and the Niners both got to Super Bowls. Those four guys came close to winning it all with great rosters around them, a lot of talent around them, and with net neutral quarterback play. So for the Patriots, the question is, is can they build a sustainable model based off of that? Or secondly, can Mac bust through the ceiling, right? And can Mac be better than the projections and be better than everybody thinks? Both those things are definitely possibilities. It's a really interesting conversation because the Jets are going for it all, right? They're, they're trying to hit a home run with Zach Wilson. The Patriots are trying to win with, the, with, with small ball in a way. And, and they're very – and I'm not saying – you get what I'm saying. It's just it's – yeah. Two polar opposites approaches, and um, it's very fascinating to see what ends up coming of this in five years, right? When we look back on the Jets and the Patriots, and even I would just say this draft class in general, because the Niners gave up a King's Ransom to draft Trey Lance. The Bears gave up picks to draft Justin Fields. All those guys, Wilson, Lance, and Fields, are the talent grab. Right, they're the they're the more physically gifted quarterbacks than Mac Jones. Let's see in five years who ends up having a better career. Because right now Mac Jones looks like the best out of the group, but we're only six games in, and he was the most pro ready guy and all that kind of stuff, right? So let's see what right. it looks like in three to five years. Well, let, let me ask you one more question too, in terms of the big picture, because I'm just curious what you think. Because you're, yeah. you're you normally put me in my place on these things. Do you believe we'll see in, let's say, in the league right now? Do you think there's a quarterback in the league right now on his rookie deal who will get his next deal from the team that drafted him and it's not a record-setting contract? Baker. 
See, Baker's a very interesting candidate. I didn't even think that's a really so, interesting one. So Baker's Baker, kind of the perfect guinea pig for this, isn't he? Yeah, Baker's a great and Baker's a great example because I think people would argue that Baker's more physically talented than Mac Jones is, and he probably is. Uh, but he's another one of those quarterbacks that isn't Patrick Mahomes, right? He's right, not yeah. he's not just so physically gifted. He's not crazy gifted. Uh, he's gifted, and but he's I not crazy too, gifted. With Baker, he's kind of at his ceiling. Like, for instance, yeah. the Bills paid Josh Allen. Like Josh Allen, a great season, of course, but they're also paying him for potential. When the Ravens eventually play, pay Lamar Jackson, you're not just paying him for what he's done. You're paying him because you assume he's going to get better. And like, right. it just looks like watching him, like watching Lamar Jackson, watching Josh Allen. It feels like they're still growing. When I watch Baker Mayfield, it doesn't. Did you just like admit Lamar Jackson is good? I've been, I, I think Lamar Jackson is, I, I've always said Lamar Jackson is good. So, because Lamar is another interesting one because well, of so, his playing style, right? Right. And so, that's and, the thing with Lamar to me. Yeah. Lamar is what I talked about before the Nikhil Harry paradox, right? Using players out of usage. Lamar is the perfect example of if you take a good player and have him and really build the game around his strengths, you can make a, a good player great, a great player excellent, et cetera. But the, the Ravens have created the perfect environment for Lamar Jackson. That in turn has made him a better player, which has allowed them to specialize more in a kind the, the two kind of feed off each other. Lamar, it's just you, when we talk about fit, I mean, you can't drop fit any better than Lamar Jackson. It's worked out for him. But yeah, yeah, no, yeah, with, yeah, with yeah. Baker, I don't know. Do you feel like Baker's getting better? Like he's good. I'm not saying he's bad, but I think this is who Baker Mayfield is. Yeah. And, and that's going to be really interesting because he's better. So, so basically there's two different lines here, right? There's the Josh Allen line, which is automatic big contract, right? You're just handing that right. guy the bag automatically. But then there's, Mitchell the Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky line, yeah. which is we're not going to pay this guy because we're we're better than that. Right, and then Nobody's there's the middle. In the middle, there's the middle, and Baker feels like he's right in the middle. And I, I think Mac has a chance to be better, but I'm really fascinated to see if the Patriots are sitting in a position four yet four or five years from now where Mac has a similar career as Baker Mayfield. What kind of decision Bill Belichick makes at that point? I see. I think Bill would love to do that would love to have his quarterback but not have to pay the bank to get not have to break the bank to get him doesn't that seem like it's bill's ideal situation so, but what right i guess it's all relative to the cap at that point but like what what is the line though because if you have to pay mac jones eight to ten percent of the cap just because he's a he's a starting nfl quarterback and that's the market right if you have to pay him eight to ten percent of the cap or do you feel like if we draft another guy in the first round this year that he's replicable, right? Because the one other thing that we haven't seen a ton of and resetting rookie quarterbacks is resetting it because a lot of teams look at that as failure, right? That means that you failed on the first time, but maybe you didn't fail like Mitchell Jabisky failed, right? That's a failure. Maybe you didn't fail, but maybe the guy that you drafted just isn't worth paying 35, $40 million to. And that's what the market projects. So I'm very fascinated to see. So I just real quick back to that. I would say some of it depends on the state of the rest of the roster. If, yeah. you know, you, if, if Hunter Henry works out and you give him another two year deal, cause they'll all be up. They'll, all the contracts will be up around this time. If Hunter Henry's up and you give him another one or two years, you extend John who, um, you know, Jacoby Myers works out, you get him on another contract. You keep some of these pieces on defense. Christian Barmore's a hit. They draft a corner this year. That guy works out. He's still here. You know, it's always inherently a risk. Yeah. Some guys are much more of a risk than others, but if all the other pieces are in place 
and you can keep Mac Jones at your price, it's not worth taking that risk. Even if you feel pretty good about that quarterback, it's not worth taking that risk. And it's not just the risk of the quarterback working out, right? You you might have to trade up to get him. Somebody might take him. And then all of a sudden, Mac Jones is gone, and now you don't have a quarterback. And you can't trade first-round picks because it upsets the balance of what you're doing. So I, you know, assuming the rest of the roster is in place at that point, is, is and they have, we talked about they need that other weapon. They have that other weapon at this point. They've replaced Devin McCourty. They figured out the offensive line. They've brought in that corner. And there's a lot of ifs here, and that's fair. But if the roster is in place and you can get Mac Jones at your price, I think you kind of have to do it. Yeah, it's gonna be really it's, interesting because again, Mac, I don't want Mac this is already game. like ahead of projection. Like he's already better than I thought he was gonna be, right? And I don't mean like in ter- I mean relatively speaking, right? In terms of him right, our, right. right now in his six career start, he's already better than I thought he was gonna be coming into his rookie season. The fact that he's starting as a rookie is even further along than I thought we were going to be. So I still think he can be better and better and better. And I still think that there's a chance that Mac is elite. Right, I still think that there is a chance. Oh, yeah. Is he going oh, yeah. to be Brady, Breeze, Manning? No, but it, it, is there a chance that he's very, very good to elite at, for some period of time? Let's call him Matt Ryan. Then I think that there's definitely a chance that he could be that, and, and Bill would win Super Bowls with a guy like Matt Ryan if the rest of the roster was good. So, the so question. That, so, sorry, go ahead. No, the question boils down to to me is a will mac be that guy will he be matt ryan or will he be kirk cousins right and b if he is kirk cousins is it going to be worth it in terms of the investment other instead of just restarting the clock on another rookie like the jets just did by the way because they had sam darnold they trade sam darnold to carolina and basically draft sam darnold 2.0 and restart the clock just with zach wilson so they can stay on the rookie contract Right. They, they, they did this exact thing. Just not, they didn't take the guys that we would have taken, right. You know, yeah. so it, it's going to be very fat. I think that Baker contract is one we should definitely look at and see how much does Baker end up getting in the market and, and, and what the Browns end up doing with Baker, because I think Mac will be in a pretty similar spot in years four to five as Baker is in now. Or does, does he get the contract? Right. What, so what he's got, what this year and next year left? Baker? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is his fourth year now. Hang on. I'll I'll pull it up. 2017. He's a 2017 rookie, I believe. Well, because the other really interesting thing in this is, you know, some of it's dictated. Yeah. So he has this year and then he has his his fifth year option option, next year. Do the Browns look at next year's quarterback class and say, you know what? We want to dip back in. Like, so that's what it comes down to. Unless they have, this is kind of my point. Unless teams have Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, they're fine dipping back into the draft. And I'm saying if you're the Cleveland Browns here, you have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. You have Jarvis Landry. David Njoku, I think, is really starting to turn the corner. Really like him. I really like what they're doing on defense. Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward. They got players on that side of the ball. Yeah. If you move on from Baker right now, and they, the Browns have made tremendous progress from where they were. If you move on from Baker right now, and you draft something, maybe not this year, maybe it's next year, but you draft anybody, right? Quarterback X. If that kid doesn't pan out, well, now you've wasted this whole you've wasted this whole roster you built up. Because by the time you figure out that kid can't pan out, doesn't pan out, most of these players you have now that you're winning with now, the, the, the Miles Garretts and the Denzel Awards, they're going to be thirty. Right. So if you're the Browns, it almost feels like the best way out is through. Either way, you're going to have to reset four years from now, right? Because all your players are going to be thirty. You're going to be on the back end. Do you want to? 
be a middling team for the next four years until you hit the big reset button? Or do you want to see if you can compete? And do you want to see if Baker can find it out? And you maybe round out the edges of this thing. Like that's, it's a really interesting spot to be in because we haven't seen, we have seen NFL teams been in this spot, be in this spot. And they've butchered it almost unilaterally because they all, you know, it's it's the it's the Family Guy mystery box bit, which is yeah. so perfect for I, I am learning in so many situations in sports. You know, you can have the mystery box or the boat. Well, yeah. we should take the mystery box. The mystery box could be anything. It could even be a boat. You know how much yeah. we've wanted one of those. Like Baker, Baker's a boat. He might not be a hundred foot yacht. Right. He's a pretty nice speedboat. Like you can get you can get there on that. You can have a fun afternoon on the lake on that. Like. I think you kind of have to go through with that. I think you do. And teams keep taking the mystery box and it keeps failing. And I just think eventually, whether it's the Browns this year, whether it's the Patriots in three years with Mac, if he kind of becomes a great, not elite quarterback. Yeah. Eventually one of these teams is going to have to stick with the boat. And I would love for the Patriots to be the first team to do it. I would, because I think it would be massive, a massive redemption moment for Bill Belichick. But eventually it's going to, it's going to have to happen. And I think you're seeing teams now at the very least start to realize that they should at least consider that that's the route they need to go down. We should have started the podcast with this conversation. This is, this is really good. I don't want to say this. Is a, I wanted to do like Richard Seymour. This is way, this, this is this way, is, way better than anything to do with the I Patriots just, and the Jets. Let me ask the chat. Do you guys like it when we get, when we get into like, we'll call it like the quantum physics of football, like yeah. this, like the yeah. galaxy brain sort of, overarching philosophy of it because i could do this for hours yeah it's really it's such a fascinating ceiling and all everybody's chasing in the league it really feels like everybody is chasing patrick mahomes aaron Rodgers, russell wilson dak prescott deshaun watson they're chasing these these elite unicorn type quarterbacks right these guys that 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 are maybe there's only five of them in the league all at once and they are willing the Niners were willing to do it with Lance the Jets were willing to do it with Zach Wilson they they are willing to go out there and invest the two number two overall pick trade all of this stuff they are willing to do that instead of just doing what the Patriots might have stumbled into in a degree with Mac Jones, but what the Patriots are now doing with Mac Jones, which is building around a good NFL quarterback that hopefully can be great, but you don't know if he quite has that ceiling, but his floor, he's a floor guy, right? The floor is so much higher than some of these other guys. So we'll, we'll see. Can, what I, can I add one more point to this conversation? Yeah. Then we got to wrap it. Yeah. Okay. The average peak. And I, so I'd have to refine these numbers a little bit. This is really loose, but between baseball, football, basketball, hockey, the average peak for an athlete is 29 years old. Yeah. So Max going to be 27 when his contract ends. So yeah. in theory, you could get him at price and he's still not at his peak yet. And, and, I, and by the way, it goes for Baker, whoever, I don't know how right. Baker is going to be. I think he's like, he was like a year younger than Mac when he got drafted, but 29 is the average peak. That doesn't mean it's peak for everybody. But 29 is statistically the average peak uh, across the four major sports. So that's not on the rookie contract. The peak doesn't come on the rookie contract. That feels like it's worth mentioning. Keep an eye out on that Baker Mayfield contract because I think the percentage of the cap that Baker gets is going to be very, very similar to where the starting point will be in terms of the percentage of the cap 
uh, with Mac Jones in three or four years. Alex, really, really quickly, 30 seconds between both of us, your favorite Richard Seymour play, go. I'm going to use Seymour's answer. I don't know if it's a play because there really isn't a play. He was freaking dominant. <laughs> in the middle. I just He's a technician. It was fun to watch him work. I don't know if I have um, – oh, he was part of the group of guys waving to the Steelers fans, telling yeah. them their reservations. So I'll go with that. A really fat, a really underrated play in the snowball. Richard Seymour, uh, I believe it's a tackle for loss. Might have been a sack. I was young back then, but he makes a play at the end of that game. That basically they don't win the game if they don't get it. So Richard Seymour going to the Patriots Hall of Fame. Alex and I will be back on the show on Tuesday to break down Pat's Jets, have some more philosophical talk with you guys. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody.